<laughs> well, that was terrifying. <laughs> there we go. Now, so welcome to High Tech Low Life. Welcome to the podcast, more specifically. And I have here my uh, guests. They're develop. They're both developers for a game called Vernal Edge, which is on Kickstarter right now. It's I think it's about halfway funded. Is that That's correct? A little We're at sixty six percent right now, and there's about twelve days left. Twelve days left. Yes, that's yeah. Twelve days as of the recording of this podcast. So, anyways, how are you guys doing today? Good. What did you guys do today? I've uh, been working on updates. Yeah, <laughs> we're putting out. Uh, we put out a patch for the demo yesterday, and we're working on putting together um, an update post and a video. And we've been just been busy trying to keep up with the Kickstarter, pretty much. That's fair. I've been. I was playing Destiny. They had an event where they blew up the Almighty or something live. Oh, nice! That was, that was pretty cool. Anyways, down to business. Uh, talk about Vernal Edge. So, what games inspired you to create this game in particular? Oh, uh, <laughs> there's a <laughs> lot. There's like there's. A- there's an answer we always give, which is um, uh, Devil May Cry and uh, Kingdom Hearts 2, specifically. But more broadly, um, just that entire like mid-2000s era of games. Um, just the PlayStation 2 as a console. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also there's also some dust force in there in relation to uh character. Yeah, so movement. there's a couple of like mechanical things we picked up from um from more recent games like that. Someone was playing the other day and was like, I see that mechanic from Dragon's Dogma and I was like, Oh, someone gets it. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Awesome. The cancel. The cancel. Yeah. And yes, it's so awesome. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot of really broad. I mean, we're, we're in terms of uh, specific like mechanics. Um, we try not to just lift things, but um, we do take inspiration from a bunch of different places. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. And yeah, when I played the demo, it definitely screamed Devil May Cry. But do you mm-hmm. have any sort of Metroidvania influences? I don't. I don't think there was a whole lot of those on the PS2, aside from like three <laughs> D Castlevania games. The structure of the game is very much influenced by. It's influenced by a few things. Um, yeah. But... Uh, there's a tiny bit of Zelda too in that structure. Yeah. So. God, how often are you gonna hear that? <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, there's Metroidvania elements in the game, um, but the one that we're most looking at in terms of the structure, your sort of like tree of abilities and places to go, is is something like Hollow Knight, where it's a little more open. Um, it's less like you have to get this power up to get this power up to get this power up. There's a little bit more uh, more opens up per power-up, so there's def- you can end up having completely different orders of getting things without even using, like, crazy sequence-breaking stuff. Um, and that more open structure of just this world that keeps expanding and 
it's it's something that's just like very intriguing and fun to play through when you just don't know what's going to be around the corner and you're like you get to the end of one path and you you realize like oh i still haven't like gone up here like what's up there you know um yeah i yeah i get it yeah as far as i'm concerned that's the good stuff yeah Open structure games are really are the good stuff, like Dark Souls and such. I understand. Yeah, that. I was I, the the second thing I was gonna mention. Dark Souls One has a uh, kind of a similar Dark Souls One and Bloodborne, I think, and um, Sekiro partially. I'm, I'm thinking where they have these like branching paths that like keep branching and branching. So you're the world. You almost get this like oval shape of possible places to explore where um, during the beginning of the game, it starts opening up and opening it up, opening up, and you get this really satisfying like funneling down of all the paths at the end of the game where you start to realize how everything connects. And you're like, all right, I just got to explore this last few places, you know? It's yeah, I know. I Exploration has been a big part of every project we've ever uh, wanted to work on. There's just not enough games that have that true that that root feeling of of discovery. You know, it's um it's like that Zelda one story that where Miyamoto he was inspired by just like wandering around in the woods. Um, and that's I mean that's pretty similar to to our our mindset, which is just like it's just this childlike wonder to to just finding stuff around, you know. As opposed to being, um, you know, funneled through a, a straight line or even, you know, in a less linear game. Um, That's fair. That's still fair. being locked off from places, you know. We want to obviously have points where um, you can't go here without doing something. Um, but there's a lot of games that are very restrictive with that and, and undermine their own open structure just a little bit. Um, so we, we really want it to feel like you're exploring and not just going, you know? Yeah. Well, well said, Alex. I, I definitely agree. I do think the linearity of games have kind of just like slowly killed it off for me, but I mean, it's good that developers like you and I guess some others are trying to keep that exploration Mm -hmm. spirit alive. It's, oh, it's very, it's very hard to do. <laughs> it's a very hard thing to do because there's a lot of um, considerations that you have to make in terms of like the story and just like um, trying to get scripted events to line up where you're like, well, the player needs to go back here, you know, or they can go here before they go here. So what happens then? So it's a difficult um, undertaking, but it's it's just that that core feeling of not knowing what's around the corner is so valuable. Well we, said. We've taken that that burden of <laughs> trying to uh, comp- like make everything work uh, in that structure. All right, so I do have other questions. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to this first question that we asked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot number, of them. Yeah, so <laughs> can you give us a little summary of what the game is about? like? the story like the on paper story Ooh, the on paper story well um 
uh, Kingdom of Heracot a long time ago. I don't I don't know how it's pronounced actually. <laughs> Why is Heracot? You can pronounce it anyway. It doesn't matter. Heracot's fine. Yeah. Um. Uh. A couple decades ago, had risen uh, in chunks into the sky mysteriously, and uh, it's sort of been a little bit isolated since then. And Vernal has sent herself there in search of her uh, lost father. And she's on her way to kick his ass because he's never been there. She yeah, never met so, him So kind of like revenge, but not really. Well, it's no, no comment. No comment. <laughs> yeah. All right, there's, have... stuff, there's more stuff and stuff's probably going to change, but yeah. Things uh, are, the uh, premise is these islands are now floating. You're going to them and uh, to take revenge for something that your father did that is yet to be revealed. All right. All right. So my question is, are you guys full-time developers now or do you guys still have a daytime job? Uh, full-time. We, we're full-time right now. The Kickstarter is essentially so that we can keep doing that. Oh, that's so great. Can, so we can work full-time jobs and actually get paid to do them. Because <laughs> <laughs> the game is so, quite large, so we wouldn't really be able to justify working on it without being able to de dedicate our full-time to it. So what sort of hurdles do you have to go through as full-time devs instead of, like, part-time devs? Um, well, it, it's, I don't know. it I mean, drains money. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, is, like... They don't have much to fall back on, I guess, if that's, uh, what you mean? It's like, it's an odd, it's, it's like a surreal experience sometimes because, um, there's a lot of advantages that come with, uh, working on something like this and working from home and everything, but you can all, it can also get really overwhelming because you're essentially never really away from it. Yeah, yeah but, no exit. Yeah, it seems like a really scary uh, proposition. It's either do or die, and you know. I, I honestly, I mean, I. It's difficult, but I mean that's uh, that's half the fun for me. I guess I would rather be. I would rather you know do something hard than do something boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We That's both agree totally that fair. like we'd much rather be making games than like be sitting than doing in anything else, even if it means <laughs> it's like it's gonna be a real difficult thing for us to do. But the journey is as important as the destination for us here. You know, like we just like the process of making games, and we just it would be. Uh, we both said, let's just do it, <laughs> you know? Let's just... It's going to be hard. There's going to be things we're scared of. It's going to be stressful. But at the end of the day, that's just a, a, a life I'd much rather have than always wondering, like, uh, what, you know, what if I actually did that? Yeah, I get, I get I would, it. I would rather do almost anything than be bored. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's it's a such a it's a very engaging uh, job to have. It's very active. It's hard, but it's very rewarding. That's great. That that's great. I, I'm I'm personally not in a position to leave my personal day job, and this YouTube gig is kind of a 
side gig, so to speak, for me. Mm-hmm. But I, I understand where you guys are coming from. I would love to be able to drop everything to YouTube, provided I had sustenance, so to speak. I wouldn't really tell anyone to... Everyone's situation is, like, is really different. Um, everyone has their own, like... You'll hear a lot of people like, oh, you should do this, or you should start here, or you should do it like this. Um, but at the end of the day, do what's right for you. Like, whatever you think you're going to be the best off doing. Yeah. You know? I wouldn't really give anyone advice. Because <laughs> we're not, I guess, we're not even, uh, it's not like we're all, we're old men who've, who've seen it all at this point either. But even if we were, I'd say, take all advice as one perspective, you know? Because uh, at the end of the day, what's going to work for people isn't necessarily going to work for you, and vice versa. Oh, yes, absolutely. All right. So the next is why instead of a or an HB based on. Okay, I missed a little bit of that. Yeah, you oh. cut out just a bit. If you sorry, sorry, sorry. So what I said was. Why a video game instead of a book series? Or a critically acclaimed HBO series based on said book? <laughs> <laughs> now, um, uh, dude, we've, we've had so many, like, uh, fantasies about, like, <laughs> what if... What uh, if we did something easy? No, 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 not that. It's just, like, what if there was, like, multimedia for all stuff? Like, what if there was, like, a... This is like a cartoon and like a and like a you know a bunch of spinoff games and like a movie or whatever. Because you always want to like think about alternate versions of what you're working on, right? Like, what if? Um, but we just like games. <laughs> we just like games. We like making games. I don't think that's it's totally, really more complicated than that. That's totally fair. So why, why pixel art? Even like drawn like. As you mentioned earlier, um, pixel art's extremely modular. Uh, it's kind of the best way to put it. It's so much easier to make things like tile and uh, read clearly than it is with other mediums, and it makes recycling assets so much easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also been doing it for ten years, so yeah, <laughs> I figured, figured I might as well get some use out of it. Yeah, what have you yeah. what have you been doing for the past ten years, my friend? Well, making video games. Uh, uh, obviously, pixel art. Um, I went to college um, for a BS in uh, game art. So I learned a lot of 3D and all that. So I've had practice with other art forms. <laughs> but uh, the barrier to entry for making a 3D game was just a little bit too high uh, when we started this project. Yeah, it was just really... Having to learn to like get a character modeled, rigged, textured, and animated successfully before like we could even begin testing out the games running and jumping, it it was just a bit too daunting a prospect. And I could just lay down some pixel animations and throw them in a two D engine and get going. Yeah, it's it it's it is a lot more complicated to make a three D game. We want to transition into that at some point. Um, but with this project, it was really. Just it it was conceived for the the medium that it's in. Essentially, it was like it was born out of Matt and sort of just making some art and throwing it in Game Maker. Mm. 
all right, that sounds. And who's is this? I don't. I don't want to attribute like a project to a single person, but I assume someone came up with the idea first. Matt started the project, and I came on um, a little later. But it's changed a lot, and will continue to change a lot. Um, I don't think um, either one of us really has any. Uh, we both we specialize in different things, but it's both of our projects. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> that was a test question, by the way. Just wanted to make sure you are you weren't going to stab each other's backs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. I'm I'm interested in that that same issue. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to the next section. Let's talk about the gameplay itself. Mm. So, what are your opinion? What's your opinion on complicated or difficult to input moves, such as well, for starters, basically any fighting game input. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I'm personally not a fan. Not a fan? I, uh, the, Matt and I actually have pretty differing views on this, because I play a lot of um, Devil May Cry, and I used to play um, Smash Brothers Melee a little bit. Um, I love just, like, fast... I just shit that's hard to do like really like dexterity challenges in games where you can feel your hands getting better at controlling the game and the barrier between your mind and the controller is is like slowly going more and more away as you practice and it just feels so good to to get good at a game where it's uh, playing at a a high level is physically difficult, um, so I do I absolutely see the value in that. This is not really. I mean, we try and make the skill ceiling for Vernal Edge as high as we can, but we're not super interested in that type of appeal for this game. We're not going to make it like uh, a, a melee or even quite as difficult as something like. A Devil May Cry, we wanted to get, like, like, as much depth, so many inputs oh, per second. Yeah, like, you, yeah, I was wondering what happened. You kind of cut out for a bit, Alex. Oh. Well, there uh, he goes again. Well, <laughs> I don't um, want to, I don't want to finish his thought for him. Doesn't really include, um... Oh, Alex! What? Just repeat everything. You're cutting what? out. You're cutting out, dude. Uh oh. Uh, when? What? What's the last time you heard? What's the last thing you heard me say? I. Ooh, it's actually kind of hard to say. It was, it was after you said something like you don't want to be like as difficult as Devil May Cry or something like that. Okay, let me just restart. Um, so I used to play melee, and I play a lot of Devil May Cry. Um. I see a lot of value in having a game just be physically difficult for your hands to play. I think it's fun to get better and better on that. It's like playing an instrument, you know? Like, you see yourself getting better, and soon, like, the barrier between your mind and the controller, you know, starts to disappear, and you're able to do all the things that you're you're thinking, and your hands are moving, like, a mile a second, and it's just fun. I love that, but that's not really what Vernal Edge is really about that type of um, challenge is not really... 
I mean, obviously, we want to make the skill ceiling as high as possible. I don't think it'll really ever approach um, that type of challenge, you know? Um, it's just not in the cards for our design philosophy for high-level play. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I guess you'll just have to leave it to the players to discover. The- <laughs> I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll accidentally put in some tech that requires you to do some insane input. But I, we're, in terms of what we're purposely putting in there, we're trying to keep um, input relatively simple. All right. I understand. I can respect that. So the next question is, what separates this from the games that inspired it? What separates it from games that did a similar thing to you guys? Like a dust and illusion tale. And what makes this mm. game worth looking at in an oversaturated market? Because, I mean, as you know, there's a ton, like truly a ton of games. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah, there's a lot of video games, believe me. We've <laughs> <laughs> seen video uh, games? There's a lot of those. Yeah, well, there's a lot of platformers in uh, the indie scene. It's kind of well known at this point that the, the 2D platformer is a pretty go-to, pretty go-to. Um, at this point, genre. I mean, in the indie market, it's like nobody even makes quote-unquote platformers anymore. Really, I mean, some people do, but like they've now evolved into subgenres at this point because side scrollers are almost like the default because they're just you know it's like imagine if in like the the genesis and uh uh super nintendo days you know people said all side scrollers were one genre you know (laughs) it's the same way with indie games now it's like it's like half of all indie games (laughs) so you can't really say like so people have come up with terms like oh this is like kind of a collectathon platformer this is like an action platformer um so in the particular subgenre that fernal edge has a one leg in essentially with the other in the metroidvania sort of um area um there is a few there's dust like you said there's um uh that game icy it's another like side scrolling. I um, actually haven't played that one yet. It's pretty good. I, I like it. But um there's Ace's Wild. That one's really I, good. I played that one. Uh but most of those games have a certain style of movement. They're they're mostly they're a little looser usually. Um we wanted something with like a little bit of a weightier feel more akin to Devil May Cry, you know? Most of those games, you're, like, crazy, like, triple air dashing all over the place, and, like, this, the you know... But we wanted to bring platforming a little more into it, where the environment... It, it, everything's a little more deliberate, it's a little more considered. Um, and it's a little... We wanted to bring a little bit more depth to it as well, which is what gave rise to the poison sun mechanics. Um, overall, um, if you're not quite confident with like action games or like any technical action games, really, like Devil May Cry, Melgar Rising, Bayonetta, God, I'll go down. I don't want to go down the list, but um, <laughs> Burn the Ledge should also be a lot more approachable. Definitely more. 
it's rough because what we wanted to do is um action games are often approachable in some sense um but they're there's this weird duality to their design where getting through the game usually doesn't require you to take part in the most interesting parts of the game. So as Devil May Cry, for an example, um, the best part of Devil May Cry by far is crafting combos. Um, you don't have to do that at all to get through the game. And in fact, it's, it's oftentimes not even optimal. Right, like the best way to play in Devil May Cry is usually just to like spam powerful moves. Um, but its design is torn between that and rewarding you for playing stylishly. And I always, I always looked at that and said, "Man, I love these games, but they just have this fundamental oddity in their design." Um, and with Vernal Edge, we wanted to take that formula and say, like, what if uh, doing all these different moves, what if everything in your toolkit had a more distinct um, value proposition? You know, that's, interesting. that's interesting that you put it that way, because I've never actually thought about it that much now that I think about it. And yeah, it does make sense to... You know, for like bosses and stuff, you can't really combo bosses that Devil May Cry, so to speak. No. Yeah, and so obviously the best solution is to spam your powerful moves. And but yeah, I never, I it totally makes sense now because you know those games have systems where your combo ranking suffers if you just spam the same move over and over again. But it ends up being the the things required you for you to clear the game efficiently are different than the things that the game is like more implicitly telling you that it wants out of you, which we, I, we wanted to sort of close that gap and make something more like where, which moves to use and when matters a little more to actually getting through the game. So that's where the, the poison stun system came from. That's how we've like thought about all of our, the, the knockback. We've had to design it from the perspective of stringing together combos, but also from the perspective of um, that value proposition of like how easy is this to follow up on versus like how much damage and and um, poise damage it does. So while you're playing the game, um, you have this spectrum of you know, however stylish you want to play. But at the same time, the game isn't going to say that a bad, a, let me try and put this, a way to play the game that is inefficient, it's not going to tell you that you did a bad job, you know? All right. Um, but it's really hard for me to describe, but I feel like I pretty much got the point across. Yeah, these are fresh questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I probably should have sent them to you beforehand, but... This is all stuff that's been, like, um, talked about and designed, and it's very deliberate in the game. I, <laughs> I'd rather maybe let the game speak for itself, but you'll notice if you play it that it's a little more deliberate. There's, right. a, there's a lot more incentive 
explicit incentive to use different moves. That's fair. And so the next question is, is there going to be a bloody palace mode? We want there to be, but it depends on how much time we end up having. Yeah. Fair. Maybe like an release update, free content update. We'll see. We'll see. I want, I want to put it. That's all I could say. I can't promise anything more than I want to do it. <laughs> all right. And the, and the last question in this section is that, you know, you're, we're in a genre where that's basically defined by almost limitless potential of combat. How do you draw the line? How do you balance? How do you have? How do you go about balancing this half of the game with the, I guess, exploration half of the game? Let me think about that for a second, because, well, in in one sense, exploration acts as a bit of a pace breaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so the two elements do play off of each other. They exist as sort of the yin and yang where. Uh, the the contrast is what gives uh, the game that engaging loop of it's if it was just intense combat after intense combat uh, it would get pretty tiring and if there was nothing to do but walk around then it's you know it might get a little boring so excuse me um, but we wanted to flesh out both of those sides um quite a bit so you get player expressiveness is still like a huge factor in both the platforming and the combat um but the combat generally is a little more demanding um so you get this ebb and flow of of how much attention and uh skill the game expects from you so you get a little breather between um combat zones so it's been really important for us to make sure that both of the elements mesh well and both of the elements are receive a lot of polish. So the answer is just we work really, really hard at it because we don't want any, uh, any element of the game to feel a, a little undercooked, you know? Like, there's a lot of uh, action games that'll... The way they try to pace out things is... You know, they'll have these weird undercooked puzzles or, or gimmick sections, and we we wanted to make a game that never felt like it was compromising on its design to get that effect of pacing. I trust that you guys will be able to nail the balance down. I mean, mm-hmm. I wouldn't know much about designing a game, much less, you know, figuring out things, specific aspects of the game. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna. I mean, I try. I trust you to be able to do it. It seems like a pretty. Far. I've played the demo, and it's you guys have the balance. Say more. It just uh, surprised me. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a little bit of cutout right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you said something. I don't know if, I don't know if the uh, Discord bot can hear it in the recording. Um. I mean, maybe. We'll see. Uh, now, next question is what's your favorite game these games, like the games? And yeah, this. Yeah, I'm just not picking up any of this. Yeah, I. Yeah, you, could you repeat that? Oh, uh, hold on. My, can you hear me now? Yeah. 
That's yeah. weird. My signal's cutting out for some reason. Anyways, as I said, um, what's your favorite sort of like action game in these kinds of action games? You know what I'm talking about. And do you have a good genre name for them? Like the side-scrolling ones you're talking about? No, like the like 3D action. You know, Devil May, the Devil May Cries, well, the God of Wars, the... Uh, who like them generally call them character action games, but there's been a push to call them stylish action games. Uh, I'm probably going to just keep calling it character action, but if for marketing, we will, we'll probably change to whatever we feel like is the more popular term. <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple of people I've been talking about regular, uh, making stylish action a regular term. I think stylish action sounds like a good descriptor. I mean, if we're open to, uh, if we're open to, uh, genre name convention talks, you know, then, um, I, I like stylish action just because it a little bit more effectively portrays what's interesting and character act. And granted, most genre names mean nothing. But uh, character action in particular is always like, what does that? What does that mean? <laughs> it I'm weird because I I just enjoy it because it's such a bizarre like, it feels like a weird like mistranslation. Yeah. <laughs> but that's very like my aesthetic, which is why I enjoy it. But yeah, I think I'm gonna. I'm personally gonna stick with you know style game mm-hmm. because I don't. Uh, most people. If they're familiar with the genre, we'll know what you're talking about. But in yeah. terms of marketing, style action is probably a little bit better. Because I think people even not familiar with the term will like kind of understand. All right. So the next question is, your next game, is it going to be a new game or is it going to be a sequel? Vernal Edge 2. So it's certainly going to be a new game. <laughs> a All sequel is right. out of the question, but I, don't, I wouldn't want to do it immediately. All right, that's fair. Best game soundtrack, in your opinion? Oh my god, there's a lot. Oh, wait. Uh... I definitely remember you um, raving about the Einhander uh, soundtrack. That's a good one. Oh, Einhander is an amazing yeah, great soundtrack. I would say... Uh, Sword and Sorcery. <laughs> so, uh, no, I have two. Well, two and a half. <laughs> a sword oh. and Sorcery spelled with a sorcery, like S-W-orcery. Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery uh, soundtrack is just fantastic. I think I've played that game before. It's a isn't it on mobile? Isn't it? Isn't it yeah, like it's, a, it's sort of a point and click adventure thing. It's yeah, very pretty. It's very like it's a very interesting and weird game. And I don't know if anyone hasn't played it, just do it because it's super super worth your time. Um, and the soundtrack is incredible. Uh, the other one is the No More Heroes games. All of them. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could like, I I couldn't pick one as my favorite. Just all of the uh, No More Heroes games, one, two, and Travis Strikes Again soundtracks are all incredible. I I find myself leaning towards the uh, shmup and like fighting games sort of like soundtracks. So to speak. definitely like, a lot of great. Like uh, I like like I like the uh, Darius Gaiden. Uh, Soundtrack, that's, that's, that's that. a real banger right there. <laughs> I'm not really a, a shrub guy. But uh there's there's so there's so many great soundtracks in gaming, it's it's definitely hard to pick. Alright. Uh what about you, Maddie? Uh, uh besides Einhander, do you have any other personal favorites? I mean 
Kingdom Hearts 2. We both love oh, that game. That's a good death, one. That oh, anything fantastic. by, uh, what is it, Yoko Shimomura? Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic soundtracks, uh, anything she touches. Um, as a Final Fantasy XIV player, I really enjoyed the uh, soundtrack to Shadowbringers. Uh, I was listening to some of that music for uh, months after it came out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. There's a lot of great music in Final Fantasy XIV. I don't really play it, but there's a lot of really good music. Um, I, I, I've heard it, too. I, I don't really play the game either, but I, it does have some good tracks. A lot of a great uh, library to pull remixes from. <laughs> Just all the all the Final Fantasy games have uh, at least one like fantastic song in them. Oh man, um, I, I gotta confess something, man. I kind of secretly wished that the uh, that Final Fantasy fifteen took place in the Evilus universe. Like you know what that is, right? Everyone, yeah. dude. So many people are like, oh, I want another Evilus game. I want another Evilus game. Modern Evilus games. <laughs> dude, what? Dude, but what if Final Fantasy fifteen took place during them? That would be. I would, that would be that would be very interesting. I'd like to see like maybe a different time period of the Evilus universe it might be interesting. Well, All that's right. what Vagrant stories for. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah. story. I, I, all I know is that it looks gorgeous. Yeah. I don't know anything else about the game. Oh man! So next question is: indie games you enjoy? Uh... I could fill an hour with this. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't know if we can do it. I'm like, I'm trying to like think of like a quick top few Hollow Knight, top five Hollow Knight. Uh, oh man, I'm thinking of a top five. There's so many. I could definitely yeah. put Hollow Knight up there because uh, Crosscode for fantastic. me. I I have not played through all of Crosscode, unfortunately. Uh, I <laughs> played a lot of that during the uh, during the. Shoot, what was it called again? The uh, early access, and uh, I haven't touched it since. But I really should. A lot of, I remember that was given in early access for a while. Yeah, I um, I bought it in early access because I looked at it and said, "Oh, this is a real video game." Um, and all this movement and action and like it's Super just... Meat Boy, absolutely a classic. I loved that game. Braid from around the same time. It's a great puzzle game. You can't go wrong with Cave Story. I think Cave Story, oh, Cave is, Story is like really kicked off the YouTube for both of us. In terms of we we met essentially bonded over Cave Story. Um, oh. There's so many really really great ones. Yeah, it's it's hard to describe if you especially in library. I'm just like I'm I'm scared to put some on the list because I'm like, what if I I see another one that I really remember liking. But there's a ton. Uh, Sword and Sorcery, we already talked about. That one's definitely up there on my favorites list. That's great. Good news. Um, um, I really enjoyed playing the Oroscope demo yesterday, although that game's not done. So It's not done. doesn't count. Undertale was a fantastic experience. Just like a really fun... It really like took me back to uh, playing like a classic story-based game where it's just... Engaging from start to finish. Um, there's one. There's one indie game that's still waiting to come out. It's called Omori. You ever heard of it? Omori. It's like Omori. It's a. So. RP, it's an RPG by Omocat, who's a sort of fashion designer. That's interesting. I feel like I've heard of this. 
Oh, wait, hold on. I, oh, my brain like almost remembered it. <laughs> it was close. It was close to remembering it. Um, yes, I've seen this. I haven't seen any updates on this in a long time. I feel like I'm... I've seen it. I wouldn't remember if, if, I, if I saw it. Yeah, there's there's very little in the way of updates. I think the last official update came out around the COVID-19 times, so to speak. Yeah, I don't... And I haven't heard anything about it. I don't know what's up with it. So, anyways, let's move on to the next question. Uh, what would you change about gaming if you were in a sort of position to do so? Um, I think I have an answer to this. MMOs wouldn't suck. Okay, that's a that's a good one. I think I would I would definitely want people to be a little bit more open to more different types of design choices. I would want people to sort of look at games a little bit more at face value because there's an attitude that um, games should be like just perpetual drip feeds of of dopamine and that. You know, any moment in a game that is uh, slow or meant to elicit some emotion other than pure satisfaction is is a detriment. And I think that uh, it ends up really harming the medium when so many complaints are like, I don't like this uh, mechanic because it's, it's weird and I'll, you know, it's restrictive or I don't, it feels this way or that way when... A lot of times, you know, it's meant to feel this way or that way. So I just kind of wish people would take game design a little bit more um, at face value and not sort of expect necessarily for every moment of the game to be just pure entertainment and excitement for you. Um, Because I think a lot more games with a lot more interesting uh, design ideology would get a little more exposure than they do now. I I think one thing I would change is, you know, just player empathy towards the creators because as you know, I think a lot of I think yeah. Everybody, yeah. I don't speak for a lot of the gamers, I think, but I I say that I would assume, like I presume a lot of the gamers out there just uh they don't really think about the developers as like people, they think of them as these like monoliths because I mean, that's what they are, right? They're I mean, well, the the forward-facing element of games, of AAA games, is, like, you just see, like, the publisher's name at the beginning, right? Activision. <laughs> so it is, I mean, they've made it um, probably at least partially deliberately difficult to to view this as anything more than, you know, a product. And I think that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with what I was talking about, where the that, that perception of games as just product, you know, has ended up kind of harming people's perceptions of games and game developers. Like, another thing is that, like, you know, as you know, many people don't really, I guess, aside from, like, the end credits, many people don't really put their names on a sort of game. You can't really associate people with games unless there are people like... Yeah, sometimes there's, like, a Kojima, Kojima game, right? Like, but even then, it's like, uh, alright, well, one guy got credit. <laughs> Out of I mean, yeah, the thousand that worked on it, but I mean, that's true. That, but like, also a lot of those sort of games with where there's people's like names tied to it, they, mm-hmm. are, I guess, a little more empathetic, a little more favorably. Like, oh, it, like 
you know, like the sort of like mechanic, like the sort of mechanical things that you said, the how mm-hmm. people, like a lot of that is viewed more in a more positive light when there's, you know, actual people attached to it instead of just EA sports in the game or whatever. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that's just my personal opinion, though. So, anyways, let's move on to the next section, the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So, so backing Kickstarters, they're always a leap of faith, regardless of who or what the product is. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen some of the more spectacular Kickstarters, like, you know, Mighty Number no. 9 and such. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sort of thing to say that would help alleviate your backers particularly? Faith? I mean, faith really is the right word for Kickstarter because you can only go... We, we can go as far as we can to prove to people that we can make the game. You know, as far as, like, making part of the game and letting everyone play it. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it is still um, placing faith in us to to deliver. And obviously, I... That's... It means a lot that people would do that. Um, I think we've done a great job convincing people. um, But at the end of the day, it is fundamentally um, a question of faith. Um, I'd say definitely, like, for Kickstarter, do, you know, read as much as you can and, like, see, you know, what the people have done previously, see, like, if there's a, a demo available, you know. Um, but everything that we can do to say, to promise to our backers that we're going to deliver, we have done, uh, on the Kickstarter page and in the demo, um, so, you know, it's hard. We can only go so far. We can lead the, the horse to water, so to speak. But I wouldn't, I, I, I can't force people to do anything. And to do it is to, to donate to our Kickstarter is something I very much appreciate because, again, it is faith in us. That's totally, that's totally fair. And we uh, do want good faith. We've been very transparent about the development process. We've streamed every Saturday. We've we t- we're taking sure a lot of care to try and like we want to build a community of people who are really like we want to be very human. You know, we want to be very frank and, and open with people. Um, oh yes, of course. I, I'm, partially I'm because we want to we want them to trust us, but mostly just because we. <laughs> we would rather be people than just b- brand, you know. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I understand. I- I'm in that. I'm in that Discord myself. Your Discord, mm-hmm. and, yeah. And what they say is true. They, I mean, they they give frequent updates, and then sometimes they just come in and talk to the people about Devil May Cry. I think that happens a lot. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. a lot of our marketing is targeting like action game communities, character action styles, action whatever. Um, so we get a lot of those people, uh, and I'm, I'm happy, uh, Chaser Tech recently joined the server, who's a pretty big name in terms of Devil May Cry, which, uh, is awesome to me. It's, it's an odd feeling to be, um, to be recognized like that by people that, um, hadn't sort of inspired you in the past, you know? Yeah, I understand. It's a very cool feeling and um i every i love the entire 
community. Ah. So much. It's a lot of it's it's so much fun to have uh people around who like you and, and your game enough to just to hang out, you know. Yeah, that's that is that is pretty good. And you know, I'll leave in the link in the description to join this Discord if, mm-hmm. if anyone if any of the viewers want to join such and my next question is, have you guys backed anything on Kickstarter yourselves? Um, I've backed a couple games on Kickstarter. Um, you can probably imagine that working on this uh, for two years without um, <laughs> without receiving any money for it has left the finances a little hard when it comes to donation. Mm-hmm. But um, I've donated to a couple projects. I mean, back when Kickstarter started, I donated to Shovel Knight. Yeah, so that really was... To sit in on those Ooh. design streams. <laughs> I remember, yeah. Double, that was, I think that was the first one you needed to. Hollow Knight as well. Yeah. Those, um, those are some big games, yeah. Yeah, and also... campaign actually did not do as well as a lot of people might think. That game's success came after release. It's the same thing with uh, Undertale. Both, like, relatively tame <laughs> Kickstarter campaigns, and then they just, like, explode when they come out. Yeah, also Nykra and um, another game that uh, didn't succeed, unfortunately. Yeah, I think, I think I've only backed two games so far. I think I've backed um, uh, Bloodstained as well as this mm-hmm. game. Right here. Mm-hmm. And Bloodstained was a pretty good one. Because, that was a big one. Yeah. I think that was... Has it been a one, like, a big, like, I'm coming back with the new spiritual successor? Mighty number no. nine. Mighty number no. no. nine, and then... Bloodstain was much later, but I can't. I can't think if there's anything after Bloodstain like that. Ukulele. <sighs> that was before Bloodstain. Wow, no, those games all came out pretty to pretty lukewarm reception. Well, I think Bloodstain. Well, Bloodstain people like Bloodstain a lot. My yeah. number nine was not received very well, and Ukulele was not. It was received better than Mighty Number no. Nine, but not super oh, yeah. duper well. And then they made another game that people actually really liked. Well, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of controversy regarding the entire, like the whole situation, Mighty Number no. Nine, and then them having to like that whole thing was like a nightmare. <laughs> a lot of community. There it would have been nice if after that the game came out and was like universally, like everyone was like, "This is amazing." That would have been great, but that would have been great. But <laughs> came out, people were not super enthused about it. I don't think it's it's probably not as terrible as most people think. From what I've seen, it looks like pretty good. But seen a lot definitely of not, it doesn't like it definitely doesn't live up to the hype. And how much of that is the game's fault? I mean, you know, I don't know. But uh, that was uh, that was the first big thing that like burned a lot of people. For I think, Kickstarter, I, I, think. Burned, I think what burned a lot of people was um uh, well with my number nine, I guess Bloodstained. There was there were no uh, there were no in game screenshots or even in-game like video footage it was all concept art and you know there was this really awesome like 2d concept art that was like hand drawn of my number nine the I game remember that. nothing and like i that. thought that's what the game was gonna look like i like, thought oh, that was what the game was gonna look like sure i mean i think i think everybody did and that like helped contribute to like it's so it was presented as like a mock-up of what the game was gonna look like which i mean if you I don't know. I just felt like something that you'd present if it was going to be in that style, and I thought that that would be a really cool style to do it in. But I'm bloodstained, and the game didn't like that. Either. 
The Bloodstained Two, much better, by far. You know, we've said a couple of times. <laughs> we've said a couple of times though. A lot of two point five D games just don't look very good. There's a, there's some like weirdness about that. Where recently, two point five D games just don't look that good. But that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, I have to say that for someone that actually makes a two point five. Yeah, <laughs> well, talk to us in like I don't know five years. Yeah, <laughs> look, at, look at Strider. Look at Strider. That's oh, a really good looking. The, the Strider reboot from 2014, I think, or 13. Yeah. I think um, it's 14. I don't know. I don't. Great, I don't great care. game. Very underrated oh. game. Fact great, check me. I have a voice. Great looking game. Really great I, I haven't played it, but I had a couple of IRL college buds that like really raved about the game, and it's I mean, great. I it just great. All right, another yeah. 2.5 D game that looked really good. I can't remember right now. Klonoa one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and two. And two. Guilty Gear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, that's like Yeah, that does like count. <laughs> I, I was thinking like, oh yeah, that is like Dragon Ball Fighters. I mean Dragon Ball Fighters similarly. Gramble Granddad and ah. Granddad Fantasy. I remember yeah. that one. Great great fighter where you play as all like, the grandfathers of other fighting game characters. <laughs> Yeah, but like, man, imagine if every anime game looked like that. Uh, I mean, I think the the tech for it is getting a little more like it's probably gonna they're probably gonna start looking a little better now than they did in like two thousand three. You know, with uh, yeah. when the uh, Naruto game started. Yeah, that's true. But like, I remember, I remember, um, uh, what's his face, uh, Iga, or the guy behind Castlevania mentioned something mm -hmm. about he doing this thing, and he never probably been a if he did like like imagine if those 2.5d games actually went so far as to use arc system works technology yeah, i would i would be very interested in in um something with that style that although i feel like it'd be very hard to make <laughs> a bunch of different environments and enemies and everything for that so maybe I, maybe it being limited to fighting games is a uh, is a time consideration. Considering you got your characters, you got however many stages. You know, you don't have to animate like twenty different enemy types and like a full game's worth of environments. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, um, I'm definitely I'm I'm always eager to see like different cool stylization for games. Yeah. Anyways, and so one more, one more final question. Do you have anything to announce for the, on this podcast? Any uh, juicy bits you've been itching to announce? Oh, like a special, like an exclusive, an exclusive. Uh, uh, on Kickstarter for a little bit more than a week as of recording this. So uh, please, 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 <laughs> please donate if you can. Share if you can. Um, both of those things will help us a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, especially in the final stretch here, we're we're really approaching like we got to kick it into high gear to, to to get over that line. So whatever you can do to help, uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Yeah, do yeah, do do that to these guys. These guys seem like they really deserve like the chance. If you're, of course, I and I actually a lot of Kickstarters actually become. 
more successful towards the latter end of the campaign. Like the yeah, people, well, people who really want to see it really end up pushing for it sometimes. But we, um, you know, we're not just gonna sit back and like be like, eh, we'll just, you know, people will push it. We're, we're, you know, we're not gonna keep fighting, or we're not gonna stop fighting until the last hour, of the last day. Even if we do, you know, make it over the goal, we're gonna, we're gonna keep uh, pushing to to get it to as many people as possible. Yeah, that's fair. And so, and I, be- I believe that concludes the interview. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, please like and subscribe to my channel. And go check out their Kickstarter, which is in the link below. And you can also check out their Discord, which is also in the link below as well. And uh, anything, any, any more final thoughts, guys? I think that's uh, it. Thank you for having us. Black Lives right. Matter, and have a good day, everybody. All right, all right. Thank you, thank you for joining me. Black Lives Matter, and uh, I'll see you guys sometime later. Yep. All right. See ya. See ya. <laughs>